This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Great to get together and wrestle with the Word again. Uh, and we're off to chapter 15. We're halfway through 15. We're about to get into um, the, uh, the response to the Jerusalem Council. But before we do... Uh, we will pray, which is a time-honored tradition we do when we gather in the Lord's name. Have a volunteer to lead us in prayer. We praise you. We praise you for this moment, the show. We praise you for this moment, this gathering. Different nations in this room, family, with one spirit. Give us one spirit. Give us one mind. Give us one heart. Lord. Cover us, Lord, with your blood. We pray for the teaching. We pray for all that uh, would be glorified. Um, what an honor to be here in this city, Lord, in your city, and spending time in your word. It's amazing, and we praise you for that. Um, thank you. Toda Yeshua. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, so, <clears throat> part of our tradition is we go over last week's study, so we're all familiar with where we're at. Okay, so, from in terms of the last couple of chapters, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to the community at Antioch in Acts uh, 14, th- sorry, 13, and uh, they ordained Paul and Barnabas, or back then, Barnabas and Saul, to go out. And they first went to Cyprus, Barnabas' old home, where they met a guy called Paulus, and Saul changed his name to Paul. Then they went into Galatia, and they encountered a lot of Jewish communities, but also Gentile ones, and having some various success. Some more than others. They then retired back to Antioch, where they stayed for an unspecified period of time. Then some trouble occurred. And so here we have. During the period of a long but unspecified time that Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch, which is their main base, not Jerusalem. You need to sort of see that in the in the terms of sacred history, the Spirit spoke, yes, in Jerusalem at Pentecost. But then, after a period of persecution, to a mixed Gentile and Jewish community in Antioch. Okay. Jerusalem has heard of the events in Galatia among the Gentiles and God-fearers. Antioch is visited by an unidentified people from Jerusalem, teaching a stricter Torah observance with the practice of circumcision for salvation for Gentiles. Who are these men? Who authorized them to come? It is not explained in Acts 15. It just says some men came. They started teaching Gentiles they need to be circumcised. It does not give them their names. It doesn't give them their authority structure. However, the incident that you see in Galatians 2 describes Paul's view of this event and its effect on the community in Antioch. Where there, we discover that Peter is. Peter's in Antioch all of a sudden. Acts doesn't say so, but... But uh, Galatians says he was there. Even Peter, who is there, and Barnabas are persuaded by their arguments. Whatever they were saying seemed very good. And uh, they were persuaded. Uh, Though Acts says that both Paul and Barnabas argue vigorously against them together. Galatians kind of has a different take on the story. In Galatians 2, Paul says that these men were from James. Okay. Although his conjecture actually might be mistaken, as James, in Acts 15, denies this. 
Okay. Paul probably writes his epistle to Galatians during this time period. And as a result of the influence from Jerusalem. As he's had his little missionary journey, we have created a mixed community, okay, which was always the plan of salvation. Whenever you read the Psalms, the Psalms are always talking about universal salvation. Hallelujah, Adonai, Kol Goyim. Right? It's always praise the Lord, all you nations. And they are still Goyim. And so, the, 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 uh, however, there is this tension. And we had to admit last week, remember, on both sides of this argument are our brothers and sisters. Yes? They have the Holy Spirit. They love Yeshua. They have the Torah. They, uh, they, some of them were at Pentecost. They were filled with the Spirit. Some of them are even apostles. Okay? And so it's not it's always as easy as you think. A decision on the matter is needed. Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem with other unnamed disciples. Don't you love the way you get to Acts and all the details just drop right off? Okay. <laughs> Although several are actually thought to be Peter and Titus, which is what you get in Galatians 2. Okay, the sort of event Peter, Paul says, oh, I'm off to Jerusalem and I took Peter with me and I took Titus with me, who's a really cool character because he's actually a Gentile. So I'm going to bring a bit of, bit of the Jew-Gentile thing up to Jerusalem. Despite revelations and miracles from the Holy Spirit... Right? Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around. They have done all kinds of things with miracles. It is going to be Jerusalem and a council of men that are going to decide the issue. What does that say about the role of the Holy Spirit in the creation of dogma? Isn't that interesting? The count. <laughs> yeah, I just, you just it's, it's an interesting thing when you get to the sacred history of the church. These people have already done amazing things by the Spirit. It is still going to be decided by humans. The Council of Jerusalem includes unnamed elders and the apostles. Oh my gosh, who are they? The apostles who had been with Jesus as his disciples. Witnesses of the resurrection, filled with the Spirit at Pentecost, remain fallible on the issue of Gentile involvement in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now it's always a good, sobering, humbling uh, thing for all of us that yes we can have the Holy Spirit but we can still make mistakes and Paul says that too you know? I keep doing the things I don't want to do Lord have, mercy. Lord have mercy but the journey to Jerusalem travels via Gentile and Samaritan territory like it deliberately says they went via Phoenicia and they went by Samaria where they meet and strengthen the believers Acts because we've had now some Samaritan believers Acts 8 has the, the beginning of Samaritan mission. Acts 15 now uses the word brethren, Adelphi, okay, the brothers, to include Jews and Gentiles. It has never done this before, but it is going to do so now and will continue to do so for the rest of the, of the, of the text. In Jerusalem, the council is convened. Members of the Pharisee party of believers. So there were Pharisees who had become believers and had actually remained in the Pharisaical part. They begin the debate by insisting on circumcision and Torah observance of Gentiles. Okay, that's their position. Peter then returns his rebuttal, and he is well suited to do so. One, as an apostle himself, there are other apostles there, he is one of the first apostles, and as, as, as in the lead in bringing the gospel to Gentiles in Acts 10, having witnessed the Spirit's activity among them. Not to mention the heavenly visions and angelic visitations he has personally experienced. Note that the Holy Spirit is a sign of acceptance of the Gentiles. 
not tongues, a sign of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Isn't that interesting the way the text decides that? You can have the Holy Spirit, and in some cases, you people do speak in tongues. That is true. But in some cases, they do not. However, when you have the Holy Spirit, that is always a sign of your acceptance by God. For both Jews and Gentiles. Barnabas and Paul, now note in Jerusalem, the word order changes back. It used to be Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then on the journey, it was Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Now we get back to Jerusalem and it's Barnabas and Paul again. Why? Uh, probably because Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is his home base. Okay. Remember, he's in Jerusalem. He sells all his stuff. He gives it to the apostles. They divide it up. So he's actually you know, uh, heavily uh, uh, entrenched in the, the machinery of Jerusalem. They then share their experiences and successes among the Jewish and Gentile communities in Asia Minor. Note that both sides of the debate are believers. Both can quote scripture to defend their positions, although Luke does not record the argument for the Torah observance. He only gives you their side of the argument. James stands up to give the summation of the council using Peter's Hebrew name, Shimon. He doesn't use Peter at all, or Kiva, he uses Shimon. Why? Where is he? He's in Jerusalem. This is a very Hebrew-orientated group, so he defends them by using his Hebrew name. And he quotes the prophet Amos and concludes the decision in favor of Peter and Paul, where he quotes, you know, rebuild David's fallen tent. Note that David's tent is the article that is to be rebuilt, not the temple, okay? Not the tabernacle at Shiloh. David's tent was special in that it gave full access to God, accompanied by a prophetic call to the Gentiles to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and not Torah observance. Right? So it was a big, 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 big deal. Prophet Amos, let's rebuild David's for the tent. Let's get as close to the Lord as we possibly can. Oh, and you Gentiles, seek the Lord. Okay? That's the prophetic call. And so he uses that as his summation of the, of the argument. That's where we got to. And so now we're going to continue on. We will read from verse 19. We'll read the rest of the chapter and wrestle with the issues that are inside. Okay. And for those that have not been here before, the way we do this is we just read one verse at a time. We go around the table. It does not matter the language of your Bible. God speaks all languages and we will follow along. So that includes if you've got Japanese, brother, you can read your Japanese Bible. I can't say I know any Japanese. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're fine. Okay, so we'll begin. Uh, Acts 15, 19. So it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from that what has been strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Letter to diaspora communities. Then it seemed good to the emissaries and elders with the whole community to choose men from among themselves to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. <clears throat> they sent Judah, also called Barnabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by the apostles and the brethren who were elders to the brethren of Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who were from the Gentiles. 
בריאות. הואיל ושמענו כי האחדים מאיתנו פעלו מבלי שציווינו אותם, ובלבלו אתכם בדבריהם והביכו את נפשותיכם. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we all agree to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain <coughs> from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid, to avoid these things. Farewell. So mm -hmm. the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they guarded the church together and delivered a letter. When they read, uh, they rejoiced at six. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas was planning to take along John called Mark. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Amphilia, and had not gone with them to the work. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of God, of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Awesome. Okay, now I know we've probably all read this chapter many times, but is there anything there that jumped out at you? The first time, or is there something that you always notice every time you read this? Like that's what draws your eye. <clears throat> Verse twenty-eight says, "For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things." Right. Yeah. Now, what's so interesting about that verse for you? Because it admits that the Old Testament was a burden, or the requirements were Ah, were is that what it says? Okay, is that what it says to you? Right. Well, it says no greater burden. Sure, no greater burden. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could imply that it was a burden. <clears throat> it uses that word. <laughs> yeah. Well, the all the yoke, everyone has a yoke. Mm -hmm. And uh, even Yeshua says, take upon yourself my yoke okay so there is always going to be a yoke we're never going to be yoke less we will always as paul will say later we're going to be slaves to 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 love slaves to to jesus which is a yeah yeah i also have another question it's like uh because they are not to to observe the torah mm -hmm. you know but uh, the point is like i was wondering like if jesus himself like 
was observance of the Torah yes. and also the apostles. Uh, why these new people who also incorporate to the community doesn't have to observe it? All those are good questions. And so the, the, this question is not new to the community. It had been inside the Jewish world for ever since. They got out of Egypt. So the Torah is given to who? To Israel. Who are all these other people? What, are, what do they get? What don't they get? And what's going to be their relationship to the God of Israel? And so then over time, uh, they had discussions. And the discuss some discussions were, well, God gave the Torah, but he gave the Torah to the whole world, so the whole world had better have it. Okay, that was one thing. Another one come along and they say, well, oh, come on, that's, uh, he gave the Torah to us. Who are these people? They don't even have souls. Okay. That's, and then other versions said, no, God loves them too. He made them have a look at our prayers. Hallelujah, I don't know, But why are they still called Gentiles if they're becoming Jews? Uh, you know, why is it that in the prophets, Gentiles will grab the hem of a Jewish person? And so the debate, do, do Jews have to follow Torah, was not new to the Second Temple period. It was alive and well. The answers to that question were many and varied. And uh, even the discussion on when the Messiah came, does Torah still exist, was also alive and well. And you had multiple streams. You had streams in Judaism, and they're all recorded in the Talmud, if you'd like to, to check, where they will have a, a, just one discussion, and they'll say, when the Messiah comes, Torah will still exist. Why? Because the whole world will follow it. Another one saying, when the Messiah comes, Torah will not exist. And Rashi's famous line, B'yamei HaMashiach, Israel. Okay, what is that? What is that? What did I just say? It's a play on words for a guy called Rabbi Rashi, uh, who was a rabbi of the Middle Ages. He said, In the days of the Messiah, pig will return to Israel. So he was actually one of the, the schools that said, When the Messiah comes, Torah stops functioning in the same way. And so they were wrestling with this. Do Gentiles have to follow the Torah? And their conclusion, and they, they Paul, uh, Peter, so James, says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, which is an interesting thing to say, because so far in Acts 15, we haven't heard much about the Holy Spirit at all. Yeah. So when did, when did he show up into the dialogue? So it's interesting that they would pose the, the uh, conclusion in that way. I have a suspicion we do the same thing. <laughs> Anything happens, we go, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we do. Yeah. So, uh, if you can do it in English for the, we record it. Yep. Okay, so you, which verse are you reading from, guys? Uh, 36. 36. Okay. And what's the question? Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. 
their brothers and their Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. So Antioch is a, is a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Paul and Barnabas spent a year there even before the <coughs> Holy Spirit spoke to them. Basically, Paul was kind of learning uh, how you teach a community of Jews and Gentiles. <coughs> Remember, in the ancient world, where are the Gentiles? Yeah. They're in the synagogue, right? In the, they're called God-fearers. And they're still Gentiles. So they're going to... Because if, if, if they become Jews, what are they called? Jews. <laughs> okay, or proselytes. But they're Jewish now, right? But they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. And the issue that you find in Galatians is they were being advocated for circumcision. But if they're not circumcised, they must therefore by default be Gentiles. Okay. And... Uh, uh, and the, the discussion in, in Galatians is interesting because Paul says the people who, who are trying to compel you to circumcise are themselves not even circumcised. They wish they had to cut it all off. And so the, it, it, it highlights that the debate wasn't just between Jews and Gentiles. It was also Gentiles versus Gentiles. So you had Gentiles who were non-believers saying to Gentiles who are believers, don't try and tell me you're equal to Jews. If you want to be equal to Jews, get circumcised. Because what's, what's, what's one of the blessings of the gospel? Yeah. There are no males or females. There are no Jews and Gentiles. There are no slaves and free. I mean, there are. But in value and worth and rank, we're all the same. Right? Males, females, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor. To, to the Messiah, he, you're all exactly the same. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on absolutely everyone, which is also part of the prophets, right? Way back at the beginning of Acts, Peter quotes him in Joel 2, the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all flesh. Whoa, awesome. Okay, Males and females. That's, that's Treason. awesome. Treason. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so what is it? What, does anyone find um, anything interesting on their... Rules for the Gentiles. Well, after he gives those things that supposedly in 20, he also says in 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogue yep. every Sabbath. Yeah. So they were still being taught, taught Bible. All yep. Because what, what Bible have they got? The Torah. The yep. Torah. That's all they've got. Right? And so what does the Torah tell you, teach you about? Life. Life. Shabbat. Shabbat. Love. Love. Teaches you about the heart of God. Yeah. So if you're going to, you know, if you want to uh, go and learn about the heart of God, where do you go? You go to the Bible. The only Bible that they've got. Right? They haven't got letters to churches uh, from the epistles yet, which, by the way, are all addressing an issue. Yeah, you don't sort of have an epistle from Paul saying, um, Dear Church of Laodicea, you are the best thing since sliced bread. I'm going to write and tell everybody this is what a real church looks like. No, there's always some issue, and we write to correct the issue. Okay? And you can see in the book of Acts, you know, we've still got issues. You know, we've, we've been full of the Spirit since chapter 2, and, uh, and we've still, still got some issues. All right. Paul Romans talks about a grafting in. Yep, a grafting in. Yeah. I think that Jew and Gentile becoming one. Mm-hmm. Does that mean becoming? 
So on one hand, you don't burden Gentiles with the Torah. And on the other hand, they're going to hear it anyway. Are they not? But they're getting the meat of it here, right? Right. And so there's that. So, yeah. Well, maybe it means don't force it on them. They're going to hear it anyway. The, 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 they're, they're not trying to put any... First of all, let's have a look at the verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore... So this is uh, James standing up. You know, he's going to make his summation. That we don't make it too difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Right? Because there was this, this um, pattern in the ancient Jewish world that if a Gentile did want to... Uh, become a, a, a follower of the God of Israel. What was the first reaction? What was it? So here's a Gentile. He comes over and he says, "I've been listening to you guys every Shabbat, and, and you get all the 1,630 laws plus all the things that we want to add on here." <laughs> first response was, "Go away." That was the, that was that's actually the first recorded response. Is if someone comes up and says they want to believe, they nope, go away. And then, and then challenge them. Are you sure we're the most hated people on the planet? You sure you want to join us? No one likes us. And then he says, oh, I'd really like, no, I think that's fantastic. Okay, you're weird, go away. You know, don't you understand? We have 613 laws and we added a whole bunch more and there's a whole bunch of things you can't eat. And if he, if he still wants to come, then you say, all right, fine. So there's a push-pull. So they had a, a um, and that sort of same idea is we will not make it hard for Gentiles to seek the Lord, right? That would be a bad thing, a stumbling block, right? Do not, if it would be better if you, if you did put a stumbling block in front of uh, people, what was Jesus's response? Tie something around your neck, jump, jump in a river, okay? Like, just don't do that. Don't, don't cause your brothers to stumble. Don't make it hard for people. Instead, so we're not gonna make it hard, but what are we gonna make them do? We're going to make them do something. What is it? Keep the dietary laws. Okay, it's food. The issue that the, that the, that the um, Jew and Gentile world had in the Second Temple period, there were other issues, okay, but one of the big ones is food. It's like the, the, the Torah is pretty, pretty clear on what you can cannot eat. And uh, the problem in the pagan world is large sections of their meat products were dedicated to pagan gods, right? And uh, and and uh, this cre and plus there's also extra halacha as to what's kosher and non-kosher. And today's world of kosher and non-kosher is just insane. Yeah. Okay, they can't even agree with each other. Okay, um, so there's various. So Ashkenazis and Sephardis already have a big difference over Pesach. One will eat rice, one won't eat rice, and you know, all kinds of things. And it's a real problem if you go and visit somebody else's house and they're eating inappropriate food. That's just when the Jewish world. Now throw that out 2,000 years ago. And that's why it was a really big deal for when Peter walked into a Gentile home and ate Gentile food. Remember in Acts, he gets called up in Acts 11. And they don't, they don't say... Did the Gentiles now believe? Their question is, did you actually eat with them? <laughs> like that's the that's the thing. It's like wow, all right. So so food was a really big deal as a boundary line between Jews and Gentiles. You could tell who was Jewish and who was a Gentile, but who was eating with who. You could go and worship together on Shabbat, not a problem. Okay, you could stand next to each other. Okay, cool. Nachon was on Shabbat. 
But if, but if my Jewish brother comes along and says, uh, I say, hey, come over to my house. We're going to have, you know, pork. He's like, what? <laughs> I, can't, I can't go. Okay, I can't go. And, uh, and so, that's, so, so what, that was a big deal for the boundary issue. And you can see it in Galatians too. They separated themselves. You know, suddenly Peter, who was once eating with Gentiles, suddenly stopped eating with Gentiles. Even Barnabas, as, as, as Paul says in Galatians, he was starting to do this. And this is inappropriate. And so the rule that they're going to now give to Gentiles is what? Why are they giving them these rules? They give them four rules, and three of them have to do with food. Is it so the gen- other Jews can go and be with them? Yeah, so that you can actually have fellowship. That's a big deal. Jews and Gentiles have got to be together, yeah. right? And, uh, and, it, and it's going to be an issue because let's just say that every, every single Jewish person on the planet became a believer in Yeshua. Mm-hmm. How many would that be? About, about 30 million. There's about 14. Yeah. But there's also those who are the secret Jews, ones who don't even know they're Jewish. Right? They somehow find out they're Jewish later on. But let's just say that number's doubled. Okay, now we've got 30 million people. Great, we've just, got, we've just increased the number of believers by 30 million. How many Gentiles believers have we got in the church? Two billion. Okay. The, the, the number of Gentiles will always outnumber Jewish people in, in, the, in, the, in the church. It's just always going to be that way. And by the way, that's the way it's meant to be. How do I know that? Because God made the world and he put a lot of Gentiles on the planet. Okay? If he really, 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 really wanted everybody to be Jewish, he wouldn't have picked the smallest tribe, right? Okay, went right at the beginning, he would have picked a, a, a bigger one. Okay. So there was always going to be this issue for Jewish people. And so the rule is, okay guys, we want to have table fellowship. We want you guys to actually be able to get together. So there's a couple of things you can't do. So you can't have the food that's offered to these, these false gods. Okay, it's just not going to happen. Okay, you can't do blood. Okay, that's a, that's a rule, but they don't give them that rule. Okay, okay, that's a that's a. The, the, but, but, but if we're on uh, if we're on Sunday, if it's Yom uh, Rishon, okay, and we want to have fellowship together, we still can't bring out meat offered to a pagan idol. So how does that affect us? He does. He spends three chapters in Galatian uh, in uh, Corinthians arguing about. Um, that's correct. Yes, he ends up after three chapters. His conclusion is they're not real. <laughs> okay, the gods are false. However, behind these worthless statues are demons. So if you if you if you happen to know that it's it's uh, polluted food, don't don't touch it. Which is a problem for us in our current world because uh, what's the issue we have as believers? What's the what's the food? problem we have in some countries you don't have it here but it does occur halal yeah and that's um you know we had a big discussion i think a couple of years ago on when we were studying corinthians can you or can you not eat halal food if you know that's what paul says if you know don't eat it okay in what context? That's not what he said. He said, if your brother has an issue of conscience, out of that, he says, I have knowledge, I can eat it or not eat it. 
it's, it's the other guy. It's the issue of the other person. Yeah. So in the, and as we're doing it, so the issue is, you know, is that uh, when you got a group of people together, how do you know who who is offended and who's not? So here you have three laws to do with food. Nothing, nothing given to an idol. No blood. Okay. This. And, uh, and or strangled animals, so there's a special ritual slaughter that they have, and sexual immorality. But not many animals are strangled today, are they? I don't know of any. No, exactly. <laughs> well, a lot of Western slaughtering is done by, by a, a trauma to the brain, mm -hmm. which is, it has the same effect of leaving the blood in the, in the carcass. That's correct. Well, then they bleed them out. They cut them and, and, and bleed them. And then age them. So, you know, you, you, sh you shove a, an animal and you hang it up and for 21 days, there's not a lot of juice left. They're still there, but they never actually really, really go away either. Yeah, I also have a question. Like, when we are reading this, uh, like, it seems like it's going to make easier the way for the Gentile to come to the community. But at the same time, I think that maybe the negative counterpart of this decision is like uh, from now on, from this moment on, it's going to be much harder to the Jews to convert because maybe they think that uh, they will not have to do anything with, with, uh, with the law again. Uh, so you think that this now creates a negative impact because now Jews won't join because there's Gentiles in it? Uh, no, what I mean is like I think that maybe, that's why I'm also able to, to know your opinion, it's like uh, maybe I think that this decision of uh, that people from the Gentile doesn't have to have the burden of like maybe as a counterpart, have the effect that from that very moment on would be much harder to convert Jews to Christianism, maybe. Jews cannot convert. Yeah. Well, at the moment, all opposition has actually come from Jewish people so far. Yeah. Right. At the yeah. So at the moment, the the initial opposition to the messianic movement is actually from Jews. Right. And the only time the Gentiles get involved is when they're stirred up by Jews. Right. Okay. For some reason, rich women, which is bizarre. Remember that passage? They got they got the Gentile women to. Get Paul. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a it's a it's a fair question. Uh, what do you think, guys? Do you think this actually creates attention for uh, bringing Jewish people into the faith of Jesus as the Messiah? Today, no. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think I I think it would always uh, for for Jewish people who went to a synagogue and they were already God fearers. In the ancient world, there were already Gentiles in their synagogues. So, um, plus, any most Jews in in the Jewish world actually lived outside the land of Israel. Most Jews didn't speak Hebrew. Right? Most Jews actually read Greek Bible and or Aramaic Bible. Actually, the smaller smaller part actually read Hebrew. Uh, years later on, but at the time of Yeshua, okay, you had Aramaic texts and you had Greek. So I think there already was a quite a well-developed relationship with uh, and boundaries with, with Gentiles. I think the big issue was boundary crossing, and uh, it was a was a real a real problem, is uh, both for Gentiles and for Jews. Like, who are we? What do we? What do we do? What don't we do? Um, how, what does it really mean to be 
valued the same. Uh, the Gentiles went from being the minority to the majority. I mean, they were in the synagogues, but when this happened, it was, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, after. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the Gentile world was already moving towards monotheism even prior to, to this. So there were monotheistic cults already showing up. Within synagogues, uh, in, the, in, the, in the ones that we actually have records of synagogues and their role lists, they're almost 50-50 Jews and Gentiles. Already that much. Okay, it's like 54 names are Jewish and 44 are Gentile. Right? And yeah, so it's pretty, pretty, pretty close, yeah. And that would be true because there's just so many Gentiles out there, right? They're just everywhere. Um, so they give, you, they give you three rules to do with food so that the community can have fellowship together, which is great. And of course, sexual immorality, which was a real problem in um, the, the pagan world. And in Israel's history, it was a problem. Right? You know, once, once uh, Moses... Uh, is standing before Israel and say, go into the land. He's, he says, your success is going to lead to your failure. You're going to chase their girls. And you can see that causing, and as you said, that's going to cause you a problem. And so I guess one of the, one of the things we've got to try and stop is our addiction to sex, which in our current world is really hard. Uh, and then there's that interesting verse, right? That verse uh, 21. For, for Moses is preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So there's no need, right, to, to uh, make Gentiles Torah observant because they're already going to hear the Torah. Okay? And so they're going to listen to the teachings of God and they're going to hopefully hear the intention but they're not going to become Torah-observant Jews. Do you see the tension? Like I study Bible with rabbis. I study the Torah. But I don't, yeah, but I don't put a keeper on. I don't wear tzitzit. And I don't convert to Judaism. Okay. I study Yeshiva. Yeah. And when I say Yeshiva... They kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I had the opposite experience. Yeah. Everybody knew I was a believer, yeah. uh, I'm a Christian, and they just said, yeah, they invited me in. So, uh, different community. Yeah. But, uh, and so, you can't divorce the New Testament from the Old Testament, can you? Although there are churches that are trying to do that. At the same time, you can't just read the Old Testament. All right? So you've, there's got to be that... But at the time of Acts, they don't have a New Testament, so they're only reading Hebrew Bible. In fact, they're actually reading a few more books than we are. Okay? Right? So if you have a look at their canon, especially in Greek, it's a lot larger. All right. Then the, so verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, we'll go the whole Kela, that's now, that includes our Pharisee brothers. Right, who have who have you know, who have now had this discussion, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So the now now um, the the names switch back again. So they chose uh, Yehuda, Judas, okay, in Greek, 
and uh, which is the reason why the book of Jude is called Jude because they didn't want to have a book called Judas <laughs> even though that's his name okay uh, and uh, Silas or Silvanus okay. and the two men leaders among the brothers okay so later on they're called prophets what does that tell us about the prophecy it's, it's still happening and they recognized them and they knew who they were and they had some function in the body yeah that's right they were prophets Anna was a prophetess in the temple prophecy did not cease even though that seems to be the conclusion of both Christian early church writers and the Talmud itself oh prophecy has ceased except that we keep finding them all over the text they just don't write books okay so they send in the following here's our encyclical letter the apostles and elders your brothers okay that's a very big powerful statement because who are we writing to a mix Jews and Gentiles and the apostles are admitting we are your brothers we are part of the same family good to the Gentile believers in Antioch, uh, Syria, and Cilicia. But there are also Jews there. Right? But, but the actual letter is particularly to, to the Gentiles. Okay? And we have, verse 24, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization. So they are not, you know, in Galatians it says men from James. Here they say, no, they're not from us. Right? And they've disturbed you. Whoops troubling you with what, what they said. So we all agree to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, which the names around again. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Messiah. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So we've got some witnesses to this as well. And here's that interesting verse. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. That's a powerful statement. Because nowhere yet in their discussion does it say the Holy Spirit spoke. Although he has done in Acts 13, very deliberately. Uh, so how do they get to this conclusion? I don't know, but they, they put it in. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit found favor in a human decision. Isn't that interesting? So I think we have to be sometimes careful with, with, with uh, uh, communities that focus so heavily on the Holy Spirit said this, that, and the other. And here, the Holy Spirit is actually agreeing with us. Interesting. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. Right? Not to burden you. So we're not going to load the Torah on you. Even there's something so emphatic about this food problem and that. They're going to underline it again here a little bit later on. That. So are we doing wrong by, in fact, eating food that is we're told to abstain from? Well, it's like uh, REA said <coughs> in the if... There's nobody in my house. It's just me and my family. Okay? Bacon and eggs, baby. But if I've got some Jewish friends over, 
that would kind of be rude and insulting, yeah, so don't do it. Yeah, but that doesn't alter the fact that privately you might do that. You might go to the shop and you might buy a pork chop, thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. But if you buy one knowing that you've got a friend, that, that is being deceitful. If I've got a friend coming over, yeah, 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 we've just said the same thing. No, I would not. Presenting them with that. So same with a same with doing wrong by. I don't eat pork. It's a choice. Yeah, as a choice. I don't eat pork. I don't eat bacon yeah. or anything shellfish or anything like that. But am I? Would I do wrong if I did? It's called being a hypocrite. Well, behind the scenes. Well, I, There's a very interesting statement in the Gospels that I think is underappreciated. And it is Jesus himself saying that food does not defile human beings. That's correct. No, no food whatsoever. He says it's the things that come out of the heart that defile him. And then, yeah. in parentheses, the writer of this inspired script says, so he declared all foods clean. So very clearly, food is not an issue to God. It wasn't to Jesus. And when people say categorically, Jesus observed the whole Torah, okay, well, maybe he probably did in his social milieu, but he did, certainly didn't do so out of a deep conviction that he was required by his heavenly Father as a, as a requirement of righteousness. It was a social thing. There are things that are forbidden and things that are not forbidden. When you go for prayers on Yom Kippur, anyone who's uh, sat down and said the, the prayer Al-Khet, which is listed, which is all sin, and you have this long litany of sins. Forgive me for the sin of this, and the sin of that, and the sin of this, and the sin of that. One of the things you don't say, forgive me for eating pork. Seems so funny to me. Seems <laughs> There's a difference. Laying such emphasis on right. not once, but no, twice. These foods are forbidden. They don't make you unclean. Do you understand the difference? <laughs> I think it's a health issue because some of these foods that the Bible speaks about, the Torah speaks about not eating, it, you have, for instance, fish that are scavengers, and you're eating contaminated meat and bringing it into your body, which can cause a disease. For instance, pork or pigs don't have pores. Right. And they don't, they don't release the toxins. And the the current, current farming practices does not it's not unhealthy for you. you know, you're not going to you're not going to eat pork. You're not going to eat pig and only live to fifty. Okay, if you eat lots of uh, McDonald's hamburgers, that might happen, but for a different. <laughs> but uh, but you got to remember that like like even even within even within hal Jewish halacha, you, the <coughs> eating pork, the the pork is a forbidden animal, but it's not. A sin. I know that sounds a little strange because in Alchet it doesn't say forgive me for eating pork. Right? It's a it's a so like if I have a vegetarian friend, what don't I bring her over and serve him? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I discovered that when we, we did invite a vegetarian friend over, she didn't tell us, uh, and we ended up giving a chicken. <laughs> didn't go over so well. If you eat, you not clean your blood. Or if you eat, it's like the blood. If you eat pork, it's like this. I don't know. Can't remember. Which means what? Ma'amashmur. 
Hanefesh? Is that what Luida? I have to double check. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. So for people who want to keep kosher, that's fine. People who don't want to keep kosher, that's also then fine. That's a choice. A personal it's a personal choice. choice. Yeah, it's a personal this choice. Is almost saying you must not eat this. Yes, these are rules. To underline it, they, take, they say it twice. Yeah. Right, they do. But it, <laughs> notice that it doesn't say these things. It says you will do well if you do to avoid these things. What doesn't it say? You must. You'll go to hell. It doesn't say that. So, for example, if you happen to eat the, 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 the fish dedicated to the god Zeus, right, you don't go to hell. What, what is each tree saying here? He's saying, we're trying to create an environment where Jews and Gentiles can have fellowship together. So don't do these things. Right? This is your halacha. This is, how, this is the early community trying to establish a way for Jews and Gentiles to get together and have table fellowship. And so we're not going to order food eaten to an idol. But if you do, that's not what sends you to hell. It doesn't say, no, no, nowhere in this text does it say you're going to lose your salvation if you do. Why were they so upset when they thought Peter had been in and eating with this? Because he had crossed boundaries. He had, uh, the, the, the original discussion, Grace, was that there were boundaries well entrenched, that Jews and Gentiles did keep a, a distance, and food was the big one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and that's, so here, it's, uh, yeah, it's the, 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 the three rules about food, and then there's the sexual immorality, which if you do, if you avoid it, then the community will do well. It'll be good, it'll be positive. And, and it doesn't matter which side of the fence that you sit on, you would have to agree, if we all abstain from sexual immorality, we would be doing well. Oh, absolutely. Right? But, all right, so... And then at the end, farewell. <laughs> okay, the men were sent off and they went down to Antioch. So Jerusalem sends its decision. And they gather the community together and deliver the, the letter. The people read it and were glad for the encouraging message. So um, they, they might have had a public reading, okay, where they, um, they do these things. The, the older encyclicals, that you had in the first temple period, uh, some of them you actually see in the Tower of David. They're round, and um, and what you would do is you would, you would come to the community, you would smooth out some sand, you would put it on the ground, you just roll it out like that, and as it would roll out, that would be the newsletter. Maybe everyone would just stand around, and look at it. Uh, but by this stage, you actually had uh, letters, tell it in public, and they're glad. And they're glad because it's encouraging. Why is it encouraging? What what had, what had happened to the to the initial community? So in Acts, uh, I think it's eleven, you get the community of Jews and Gentiles coming together for the first time. It's fantastic. Paul and Barnabas are there. Everything's going well. The Holy Spirit speaks to them, sends them out. They make more communities of Jews and Gentiles. And then some people from Jerusalem come and say, Hey, no, 
I know what you've all heard, I know what you've all seen, there's a little bit more you've got to do, you've actually all got to become Jews. And they're responsible, what? Now we're confused. And, uh, and so they cause all kinds of tensions. We don't know how many church splits happened at this stage, okay? but we probably got a few. And so why are they encouraged? Because now they're encouraged that, oh my gosh, we, can, we don't have to do that. Jews and Gentiles can have table fellowship. We can uh, uh, be together in the way we thought. Okay? Meanwhile, if the Holy Spirit spoke to them in Acts 13, why do we need a bunch of men to come from Jerusalem to talk? Why didn't the Holy Spirit just speak again? Say, look, I know what they just said, but it's a lot of rubbish. We don't know. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit did not do that. And so just when you think that you've got the Holy Spirit locked in a pattern, He won't do it. So be very careful when, when trying to say the Holy Spirit does this. It does sometimes, but sometimes not. So here, it's a decision from a human community, although they will acknowledge the Holy Spirit was there. How do we know that? Yeah, it's a good question. Yep, we have a group, group, yeah, the group get together, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why the Didache, the early church, they deliberately said, make sure you get together with other believers. Okay, make sure you don't to, to you don't go you don't do this stuff by yourself. You gotta do it together. So here we have uh, okay a verse which I really like, one of my favorite ones in this passage. Judas and Silas. Okay, and I love the way they call him Judas because that's dang it, that's his name. Right? It's not a bad name. Right? Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, they actually exist. They functioned in the community. I wish we would have them here, even though I don't know what they do. <laughs> okay. Because the Bible... They cause trouble. They cause trouble. <laughs> this, that may be true, Aria. <laughs> but okay, there, there is this function called the prophet. And they were there. And we don't know what they do. But they did something great. They said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. And I get annoyed by the verse because it doesn't tell me what they said. <laughs> It's like, okay, so you encourage the brothers and you strengthen the community. Fantastic. Tell me how you did that. Mm. You know, it was a lengthy message. <laughs> that reminds me, we read this today when, when the Lord was with the, the two, you know, on Emmaus. Yeah. And it's it just this brilliant, beautiful explanation he's giving and we don't. We don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you tell me that you did this? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so they do it again. This is all throughout the Bible. Okay? So they, they have these guys called prophets. They identified who they were. These are Jewish guys, okay? Jewish prophets. And they're in Jerusalem. They're from Jerusalem. And they go down and they encourage the brothers, both Jews and Gentiles. It's fantastic. Okay, after spending some time there, how long was that? We have no idea. Okay, you know, time in, in the Middle East is very fluid, okay? Um, and you see it again here. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace. Okay, and they return. Uh, they return. Um, it says, right there, it says, being prophets also exhorted and strengthened. Yeah. With many words. 
So we're saying, what did they do? What did they say? So they exhorted? Yes. And they strengthened. So obviously what they were saying. Yeah, they, what they were saying, did that. That did that. Yeah. The result of the words. We, we can see the result of the words. We just don't get the words. Do we need the exact words? Depends. They exhort and they strengthen. What is, what is, what's to, to strengthen you would be what? To strengthen the body. Right, but how do you do that? Oh, Christ, that's teaching. <laughs> the teaching and the uh, promotion of Christ in your life. Maybe. It doesn't say that. I would agree with you. I agree with you. That's what it is. It depends on the situation. Yeah. 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 If everything's going well, which would be the case, it's just yeah. like, keep it up. Encourage. Yeah. Yeah. If there's, you know, something going on that's not right, the first grade is fine, you know, there's an issue. Yeah. And so I think... That's what a teacher comes yeah. That's what a teacher. You know, right. But the problem is maybe... Right. You have this in first grade also. You What we see, whenever we see the words like uh, a prophet, uh, in in the social context, not the literary context, because none of these guys are literary prophets. None of these guys write books. Okay? Um, although there are some people who think that Silas did write a book. That's that's true. Um, and. Um, hmm. Yeah, there's a book out there called The Teachings of Sylvanus. Okay. Uh, I think we read part of it in this class once. A while ago, yeah. Anyway, the result of these prophets is strengthening encouragement. So therefore, if someone says that they're a prophet and the result of them being in your community is the opposite to encouragement and or strengthening, what would be your logical conclusion? They're a false prophet. That is correct. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't hold people who say that they're prophets to that, to that value. We don't sort of say, hey, it's great to have a prophet in our body. And then three months later, we go, listen, you know, you're not working out. <laughs> you know, uh, you're not really doing what we saw prophets do in the Bible. So um, go away. Uh, if they were prophets, I always thought a prophet was someone who prophesied that some certain event was going to take place. Right. Uh, well, but that's that's. How, are these people? Are they talking about future events? That well, we, we there is we there in trying to to work out what a prophet does is very hard because there's no no list. Um, but we think literary of like Elijah, right? They were prophets, and they they would have foretold what was going to happen in. X number of years. Well, Elijah and Elisha didn't, didn't do a lot of foretelling. Like, they don't write books. That was an example. Right? Yeah, but so they, they are prophets, yes, uh, but they don't write books. Um, and, you know, every kid. Elijah's like the. Yeah, yeah, but he never didn't write a book. Um, every king has a prophet attached to him, sometimes multiple ones, uh, except one king doesn't have any prophets. King Solomon. <laughs> okay, and you can see what happened, okay? <laughs> yeah, okay. So obviously he thought he was a bit too smart for a prophet. And that, well, there's the opposite of prophet, and Paul says, I wish that all would prophesy. Yeah, he says, he's, he he's, essentially he's quoting um, Joel 2. The Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all flesh, and all flesh will prophesy. prophesy. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't think that that... The, the understanding of prophecy is you'll predict the future just because now you have the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we would all have won the lottery every single week. 
I'm going to fund my mission. I'm just going to be go down to the shop. <laughs> what do you mean three million people want? <laughs> um, it's, it's, you, you, although you do find, even in the book of Acts, that there are prophets who prophesy of a future famine. Right? So, so in some cases, there is this thing where prophets actually do predict the future. On the other hand, some of the role of the prophet is the strengthening, the encouragement, the, the empowering of, of the body, and none of that's actually mentioned. Words of knowledge. Words of knowledge, maybe. Um, but that doesn't say what uh, here. Anyway, so after spending some time, they send them off. Okay? And it's interesting that they say that here because um, um, who does Paul take with him when they have the big split? He takes Silas. So even though they send him off, uh, it's a short leash. Okay. Uh, Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch where they, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas are not the only leaders of the Kailah here. There's a, a group of them. In fact, some of them we know their names. Right? In, in, in previous chapters of Acts, they, they described uh, some of the names of these people. And one of them um, was... Simon of Cyrene. Oh. Yeah. And he was also known as the Nigerian. Simon <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, Simon of Cyrene was. Simon of Cyrene in the. Uh, was, most, was most likely a black guy, which would have made him stand out in the crowd when they needed somebody to carry the cross of Jesus. Man, who's going to carry the cross of Jesus? The big, tall, black guy. <laughs> okay, uh, and then later on, he becomes part of the leadership in the church in Antioch. Oddly enough. So, anyway. Interesting. So the the community now have their leadership back, and um, and they preach the word of the Lord. It doesn't tell you how they do it. It doesn't tell you uh, what books of the Bible they're reading or anything that kind of that. But they do it, and they don't tell you for how long. Except you just get that sometime later, after many days, after a few days, or whatever is the, the phrase. Paul and Barnabas decide, let's go back and visit the brothers. So we're going to do a little encyclical uh, visit back through Galatia. Let's go to the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. <coughs> So what is, the, what is that a, a good model of? Now remember, the book of Acts is sacred history. It's not always something that you're supposed to do. But it does also set up patterns that are also good. And what's one of the good patterns from here? Follow-up. Follow-up. Yeah, do some follow-up. Right? You know, um, sometimes, you know, not, not to belittle uh, uh, tent ministry or anything, because it's very powerful. Um, however, you know, going into a into a city, doing a, a crusade, a tent, tent ministry for one week, and then leaving, um, and then never coming back, doesn't always help. Right? Especially here, when you're saying, well, you know, we, we probably should go back and check the brothers out, see how they're doing. How much of the Bible do they actually have at this point? At this point, uh, well, it depends. Um, if you've got Septuagint, it's quite a lot. So the Septuagint, Septuagint Bible is quite a large uh, canon. Aramaic canon is also slightly different. Uh, um, and then Hebrew canon as well. And who would have written these? Who would have written them? 
time. Yeah, yes. Yeah, they're, they're very valuable. They're not uh, as, as, as prolific as they are today. Um, but they, they did produce them. So like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Oh, we haven't got those yet. No, that's what I... They had yeah. a, a, they were, up to this particular point, there was only a certain amount available to right. them. Well, it's interesting that, um, you know, the New Testament actually doesn't quote Gospels. Okay? Once you get Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, okay, then you get into the rest of it, they never quote the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? Um, Even Acts doesn't quote the Gospels. I know, same guy who wrote the book, right? You'd be thinking right now, you know, and uh, they preached, you know, a sermon on chapter 16, you know, the, uh, the sheep and the goats judgment from the other guy, you know, they didn't, they didn't, uh, I get, well, the, when was it written? I don't know. I mean, uh, the Didache is a summation of the teaching, so it's probably all in formation. We're probably looking at a time period where it's it's all forming. Yeah, there. there was there was certainly a large body of oral yep. transmittal. Apostles quoted Jesus. They yep. quoted them to the audience. The audience quoted the apostles, and gradually this got formed in a formulaic, uniform version of what Jesus actually said. Yep. Only later, somebody starts writing it down. Yep. Yep. And uh, and so you might have had different parchments, different. I mean, you don't, you don't really know. Uh, Luke was almost certainly written before the destruction of the temple. Absolutely. It's the only clear clue we have in the Gospels because he puts in Jesus' mouth his prophecy of the future destruction of Jerusalem. Yep. Along with the Gospels. Mm. Yep. Yep, yeah, I think he's an early book, me personally. Um, but anyway. So, uh, Barnabas wants to take John, also called Mark. Now, I've met this character before. Because remember, the um, Holy Spirit spoke in Acts 13. And the Holy Spirit said, you know, set apart for me, for me. Right? Barnabas and Saul. And then when the community do send out Barnabas and Saul, who goes with them? John. Right? He just suddenly shows up. Uh, even though the Holy Spirit didn't say, take John as well. But here, Barnabas wants to take John. Now, why would he want to do that? Restore. This would be the process of restoration, or would they have already been restored? Because he's there. Right? John's in the community when Paul and Barnabas come back from the initial trip. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? Okay. So, Paul, if Paul has tension with our little brother, what would all these meetings have been like for the last year and a half? Tense. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Right? Um, have they been reconciled? If they've been reconciled, all of a sudden, they don't. Or, maybe they did have Bible studies together, and they did worship together, and, but they just didn't do any work together. I don't know. He's still around in the community. Barnabas knows him. And uh, so Barnabas and, and Paul are uh, making their plans. And uh, Barnabas you know, is like, well, let's get the original team together. Let's, let's, 
let's, everybody who went last time, let's do it again. And I was like, <laughs> not taking that guy. Right? Remember what happened last time? Is this the same John that Yeshua said when he was on the cross, you know, behold, mother, behold your son? No, different. Not the same. This is another John, isn't it? Yes. Oh, okay. John Mark. John Mark. So we're not quite sure 100% who actually he is somewhere along the line. Some people say that he was the guy who ran naked away from the garden. Mm. Right? That, uh, I've I heard I, that story before. Yeah, I've heard that story too, but I can never quite... I, I read it in the, in the Gospels, but it doesn't actually say his name. He was the only one that would have been is seeing somebody run off to see if it wasn't actually happening to him personally. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, they all run eventually, but uh, this one just but forgot his well, pants he, while he, he was He left something behind him, yeah. so he went naked. I don't know why he was naked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, a, I, I don't even want to think why he was naked. Okay, but he but just... Is, but is he the same as the gospel? Uh, no. Okay. Different, different, different guy. No, okay. okay. Maybe some people say that Mark was in Rome and talked with Peter, and so... The Gospel of Mark is the voice of Peter. That's the tradition, yes. That's the tradition. Yeah, we're not sure if that's true or not. Yeah. But it's... it's um, the, the actual Gospel itself, the actual text itself, looks like it's missing the back page. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, or it, it looks like it just didn't quite... Whatever document we drew, drew out of the ground, it just doesn't have the last bit. But we're not sure 100% sure who, who did it because it's because it doesn't have an like Matthew and Mark don't tell you who wrote them like uh, uh, Luke does and there's an inference that that John's writing John but even then it doesn't actually say I John write this he does when he gets to Revelation oh it's the same one isn't it mm -hmm. we assume oh. so not it's a, only Luke sort of shows up and actually has a, a clear I'm doing this I don't think Luke ever, the Gospel of Luke ever states that I, Luke, wrote it. It's, it's largely inferred from Acts 16. Acts 16, okay. It's also a tradition. Yeah. So, Paul doesn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and they continued uh, with, had not continued with them in their work. They had a sharp disagreement. That's such a sharp disagreement. They part company over this issue. So, and are anyone, uh, what are some of the positives and negatives of that statement or that piece of history? Sorry, they're human. <laughs> yeah. So here are these guys who have done miracles, and they can still be human. And that is um, on one hand actually some comfort and on the other hand you still say guys you're full of the Holy Spirit get it together right which is probably good criticism for us right? is that we have the Holy Spirit so let's get it together but two strong men went two different ways sharing more of the gospel that's also yeah, yeah, there you go yeah and it's I, I find it very interesting oh, our brothers that's right the Messianic brother left um, that how does the Messianic community grow in this country? Are they Messianic Jews? How do we start new congregations? We split. Isn't that interesting? It's very, very rare to find in this community that a community got together 
grabbed a guy and said, you're going to go and plant a community over here. What usually happens, unfortunately, is there's a conflict and there's a split and then they, they go small, but then they both grow big. And it's interesting, that's the, interesting how that works. Not saying that's the model we should all adopt. <laughs> okay, that's not what I'm saying, okay? But it's just, it's interesting that you see it here. Two powerful figures, they split, they double up, and they can do twice as much. Hooray. Is that the correct model? Perhaps not. But it's still what happens. God still can use it. Yes. That's also a good thing. Yeah. So even after we've split, it's still not the end. It's never the end. Even when it ends, it's never the end. So they miss on it those two that were here? Uh, Leo was. Yes. The Argentinian brother. Yeah. So he's a member of the Hebrew congregation here. Oh. Yeah. And he's dating a Czech girl. That's going to be an interesting mix. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they have such a disagreement that they part company. But Barnabas, he takes Mark and they go off to? Why do they go to Cyprus? That was Barnabas' home. That's Barnabas' home, right? That's where he's probably got some family, probably got some friends. That's where they went before. So he's going to go to his old stomping ground. He's going to go to where he knows. So in terms of uh, mission work, what does that do for a model? Yeah. Interesting. Yes, I'm thinking, thinking of doing some mission work back in Australia. Anyone want to fund me? <laughs> okay. It's, uh, you know, it's often we, we think missionaries need to go to somewhere that's not their culture, that's, they don't know anything, they can't speak the language, they're going to go learn the language, you know, go somewhere where you're just, it's completely different to you. And that's good as well. That is good. And you do see that happen. At the same time, just because somebody knows an area really well, sometimes he's the best person to go be the missionary there. That's also a problem. <laughs> yeah. Barnabas kind of drops off to the stage at this stage. Just like you know, how Peter, like in Acts 12, it says, you know, go tell James, and, I'm, and then he went to another place. No clue what he did. Okay. Barnabas uh, has an epistle attributed to his name, whether that is actually true or Parts of it are from him. We don't know, and uh, we don't have a lot of lot of traditions as to what he did after that, or how Mark turns around and ends up writing the gospel, right? Because uh, if Mark is Peter's sidekick, what's he doing hanging out with Barnabas then? And uh, we, we 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 haven't got a clue. Uh, this Mark of this very part of the text is there. Mark there also different. Uh, he's not Mark the Apostle. Do uh, you mean the, the one who writes the Gospel, Mark? Uh, that's, that's, the, that's a tradition. It's, it's true. It's a tradition. Whether it's, it's true tradition or no, I don't know. Got to call it something. <laughs> so. And this Barnabas is the Barnabas who sold this land and gave it to It's that same guy. That's that guy. Original name, Joseph. <laughs> Levite. Okay. He's, a, he's a Levite. Okay, and uh, yeah, and Paul's from Benjamin, right? So Levite and Benjamin running around uh, doing stuff. Okay, so uh, Barnabas and Paul, who have worked so hard together over the last couple of years, um, split, and Paul needs a new companion for his adventures, and he chooses who? 
who's a prophet. Okay, so apparently he's supposed to have been sent back to Jerusalem. So I'm not quite sure what happens after that, but... Um, the scribes were so dis disturbed by it that uh, a whole slew of them quit in a verse to get Silas back in Antioch to be sent out. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow Silas comes back and um, Paul obviously thought highly of this guy. Whether he knew him from Jerusalem, um, although uh, uh, we're not sure, um, but he was impressed, I guess, by what he saw of, of Silas, because he's got other characters in Antioch he could have taken. Okay, Antioch's not, not bereft of uh, good leadership. The apostle and the prophet working together. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, not that we hear Silas do a heck of a lot of prophecies, right? although he does have a, a, a text attributed to his name. Okay, and he's also one of the candidates, although it might not be a very strong one, of um, of the authorship for Hebrews. Um, what was that? He, authorship of who? The book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Okay, so yeah. some some traditions put put uh, uh, Silas as a as a mm. potential <coughs> potential author for for Hebrews. Uh, yeah, Hebrews has got like quite a few traditions. Right, as to who actually physically wrote the book. So we've got, a, we've got a apostle and our prophet together, and they left, commended by the brothers, to the grace of the Lord. Okay? Um, doesn't say the same for Barnabas and Mark, but, um, okay? but we do get uh, this section. And he goes to the churches that they had done. He goes to Syria and Cilicia. In fact, he's going to go all the way to, the, to Derbe, which is... The last of their last town on their previous village, which got like one line, okay, of uh, what happened there. They went there, they had a success, and that was it. But now we go back to our one line in our town in verse uh, in verse in chapter sixteen. All right, okay, we are halfway through the book of Acts, <laughs> and out of this chapter, what have we seen the Holy Spirit do? Is mentioned once, and what was it in 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 way of the agreement? He's mentioned in the connection to the agreement that the brothers got together, the brothers debated and argued, the brothers decided something, and the they the conclusion was the Holy Spirit was happy as well. The whole church is mentioned though, so there was a. A, a wall -to -wall consensus, consensus. and this includes the party of the Pharisees who were strenuously doing their side of the debate. Okay, yeah, I also have a question. Uh, it's like this is the first council, not the second council, and uh, according to the book of Acts, like the Holy Spirit was like uh, within this discussion about the doctrine, and uh, so I wanted to ask. But, Further councils, I mean, along all these uh, years since the very beginning until now, have also this uh, Holy Spirit support. Is that a question? Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to give you the easy answer. I'm not, I don't know. Um, we've had other councils, like Acts 11 is a council. Okay, they have some decisions there uh, before. 
Um, I'm going to suggest that sometimes some of those counsels are, yes, very valid, and they're very good, especially when they get rid of heresies, which is uh, excellent. And if you haven't had them, uh, the church would be in a real bad place. Uh, the, uh, uh, what I find interesting in the, this portion is what role does Jerusalem have now? Who's actually sending out the missionaries? Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, but yeah, but the. It's very, it's very important to distinguish in Acts 13 what the church did according to the original text was they released them. The Holy Spirit sent them. Right. They were required to be released from their commitments and their activities going on, but the Holy Spirit is the only one that sent them. Right. Okay. Um, remember, this is sacred history. So it's not telling us the missionaries at Jerusalem sent out. I guess they did. Okay, I, I guess that they did. Okay, the, um, the, the other books of Acts, which we have in um, uh, manuscripts like the Acts of Peter and the Acts of Andrew, the Acts of Thomas, mm -hmm. describe what Jerusalem does in a little bit more detail. Uh, who brings the gospel to Egypt? According to tradition, it's Mark. Right? Uh, who brings the gospel to, to India? Thomas. Uh, right. How does he get there? Okay. Um, in in uh, I think it's in the Acts of Peter. It discuss it describes an event where um, they're sitting around a table, kind of like this, dividing up the world. Okay, as to where they're all going to go. Okay. So what else is Yeah, what else is there? Let's, just, let's, let's play risk and move our armies. Okay. But, uh, and when it, when it comes to Thomas, they say, Thomas, you shall go to India. His first response is, absolutely not. Oh, no way am I doing that. And uh, runs away and ends up uh, going back to the Galilee and tries to do fishing again. Yeah, and uh, what happens is... Um, uh, uh, some merchant comes along and says, listen, um, can you come and do a, a deal with me and, and do some business and stuff? And oh, by the way, can you, I hear you're one of these believers, can you also share what you've got? And uh, he says, yes, I'll come with you. Uh, where do you live? I'll tell you along the way. But he also goes to, he also spends some time in Antioch. Okay, and the Syrian Orthodox Church will we'll have a, a, a tradition that, uh, that Thomas was in, in, in Antioch in the year 52 and preached up a storm and got lots of people, got lots of people saved. Okay. Um, Can I say one thing? So, so, yeah? That's reminiscent of uh, what happened with Jonah. Yes. The story about Thomas. Yeah. Very reminiscent. Yeah, I don't want to do it. And then God's yeah. like, well, I'm going to make you. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, just the idea that the Holy Spirit sends out the missionaries, even if people make the decision, but it's still the Holy Spirit and God's will. Yep. Yeah. And so our version of sacred history, the book that we hold and, and treasure, is concerned about Antioch and the stuff that they're sending out. Okay? It's the Jerusalem has begun to drift off the map. That doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean it wasn't doing stuff. It doesn't mean, you know, it's... Um, we have other traditions and other sources that describe what Jerusalem do. It's just not in our text. There was a lot of movement, though. Oh, they were everywhere. People were coming and going and going out. Yeah. There was a lot of movement. Yeah, Peter shows up in some bizarre places. Right? 
Um, he, he's in Corinthians, he's in Galatia, he's in Rome. Glastonbury. He's in Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> he is not. <laughs> That's awesome. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> With the, all the weird and wacky things they do That's in right. Glastonbury. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Joseph Arimathea apparently Joseph went to Glastonbury. Joseph Arimathea. <laughs> I don't think he did, but anyway. All right, so uh, next week we're on. Yes, we're on. Um, all right. Chapter 16 next. We retrace our steps and see what happens. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.